Divine Truth Events. These are events and presentations by Jesus and Mary. This presentation is part of the Relationship with God series. The topic is Faith and Prayer, presented by Jesus and Mary on the 12th of May 2013 in town of Mergen, Queensland, Australia. This is session two, part one. G'day, Ron. How are you this morning? Did you enjoy yesterday's talk? Yeah. tapes everywhere at the moment. <laughs> Apparently my beard was scraping on the sound like yesterday and you could all hear it, could you? No, sorry about that. Yeah, it's, not, it's not now, so should be right. Okay, um, as you can see, Mary's joining me today. <laughs> and uh, we want to continue with the discussion about faith actually for a little while longer this morning before we get on to the subject of prayer. And the main reason why is we, we didn't cover everything I needed to cover yesterday about faith. So, so I wanted to introduce a few more topics to you. But before we get started, um, this is a brand new 500 gigabyte hard disk that's, that's blank. It's got nothing on it. Does anybody want it? It's a USB. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> Jenny hates her hand up first probably. Did she? <laughs> it won't fit all of our stuff on it, so so it's uh, you can use it for anything else you want, of course. Yeah. Okay. How are you feeling this morning? Last night was tiring. Yeah. You felt zonked. Yeah. So yeah. I felt there was a little bit of resistance in the audience, audience yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. A few things confronted. And, and I, I always sit there like a little cheerleader going, put up your hand, ask what you remember. <laughs> you know, just say it, it'll be okay. Because <laughs> yeah. I feel like when you take the risk to open up about what you're, not, what you're confused about, because often I can feel um, Jesus is explaining something, but there's a lot of questions in people's mind. But nobody just says, look, I don't get it. And um, I feel like when people take what feels like a risk to do that, a lot more clarity comes for a lot of other people. So, yeah, I'd like to encourage you guys to just go, I don't get it. Now, Mary's got a bit of sound coming through. That's Have I? She's got no beard, so... <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> that would be very embarrassing. <laughs> If she, if she has one, you a bit of waxing needs to be happening, is it? <laughs> Let me just uh, fix it up for you. I haven't dealt with that emotion, actually. Waxing still occurs in my... Uh... If you smile. Yeah. Now? Better? It's okay if I don't smile. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. It might be your hair because of where the... Receiver is, but anyway, we'll see how I, we go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. Bit of a side. Yeah. Now, Rochelle, you put up your hand just when we were talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Have we got some Roman? Yeah, we have. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Just give Vlad a minute to turn up the volume. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. Um, yeah, I was one of those people that 
you said a few things about faith. Um, I've heard you say in the past that when you become at one with God, our faith will actually increase, that we can do that. It will, but, but unfortunately, it's only an intellectual kind of a faith that grows okay. under those circumstances. There's a bit of feedback, guys, too. So if we can just sort out all of our mic issues before we get started, that'd be great. You are right? Yep. Should I keep if you talking? Can speak. Oh, yeah. yeah, sorry. Um, and the other thing was, um, I think I've become one of those neurotic, paranoid people <laughs> <laughs> that is so worried about being an addiction and, and figuring stuff out. And yep. like you said yesterday, you don't do that. I'm going, what? Like, no. No, I'm not very neurotic. No, no, I, no. No, I realise that. Or intellectual. <laughs> even though others might claim I am. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I think it's all that injury about wanting to be perfect and do it, do it right. So I've heard you say you write lists about addictions. and. Well, one of the biggest yeah. problems that most people face is you're still trying to do everything intellectually rather than emotionally. And when you do that, you, you end up with these kind of problems, the, the kind of problems where you're getting worried about everything and what's going on. You can see the addiction, but nothing's really happening. You, you're trying to heal it, but nothing's going on with that either. And you end up in this, really, this space, if you like, where you're just really trying to do what anybody else who's heard any truth in the past would do and what, what most people in religions do. And that is they hear some truth and then they become very concerned about having to follow it and they use all of their might and, and if I could say might in the sense of you know, all of their intellectual strength and all of their effort goes into trying to follow it but, but they don't realise there's some kind of resistance in their soul to following it. And if you get rid of the resistance in your soul then everything's easy. So if you're only focused on the resistance in your soul that, that is far more powerful than focusing on everything else and doing everything else right. So often, um, I think we've spoken about before, when we talk about addictions, and I feel the most powerful way to deal with the addiction is to feel how much you want it. A lot of people go, oh, I've got that addiction. Got to get it, you know, got to stop it, got to stop it. Got to, okay, what's the causal? What's the causal? How am I going to get there? Okay, have I got there? Do you think this is the causal, Mary? Should I be feeling this? And my, my response is always... Just fe don't act on the addiction, but feel how much you want to, because that will—that's—that's that's the beginning of the emotional process. So when you say feel how much you want it, like it, an experience, it, so go to God with the anger of "I want this," not just feel it without the expression. Yeah, yeah. In whatever way the emotion presents itself, let yourself feel that. Now, initially, that might be anger, which is really about, I can't have this addiction and I want it. But under that, there's a lot of other, like, really needy feelings that lead to sort of sad feelings. Yeah. That you, you know, all those feelings that they're really present if you just let yourself feel your okay. addiction. Because I got confused about that because one of the talks you did years ago about entitlement was to just to cry every time someone doesn't treat you the way you want to be treated. Mm. And then I thought, well, that's just crying about an addiction not being met. It is. Which, I, you've got to go through that process. Yes, you do. You have okay. to see that you wanted the addiction met. Okay. And this is the result. You're crying is the result of you wanting the, it met okay. so much that you're unwilling to look at its cause. Can... So now can, we're getting in a discussion yeah. about emotion. Yes, sorry. Again, I, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I want to focus on both okay. because, because I feel this is one of our primary problems is that many of you are so focused on emotion and, and still focusing all of your effort on emotion. And the main reason why 
is because you're not, you don't have any faith. And, and you don't have this, you haven't got this experience happening with God. And so you're having to go through and work through every single emotion by itself on its own with no assistance from God really through the process. And of course you feel sometimes very confused about that and you don't know what the truth is and you don't know what an error is and so forth. It becomes very plain if you do it with God, with faith. A lot so. of us try to deal with the emotion so then we're good enough for God. And that's the opposite of faith and prayer, actually. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I, we, myself and Mary were having a conversation maybe three months ago now where Mary was saying you know, that she felt like she needed to do this and do that and do this and do that before she could pray for divine love. And I'm going, well, why do you feel like you have to do all of those things? She said, oh, because the, the way she saw it was how I have to let go of all the untruth before I can, you know, pray for divine love. And I'm going, well, no, I've never said that at all. You know, <laughs> the truth is a doorway to love, but, but I've never said you have to let go of all the untruth before you can receive any love. Because if, if that was the case, hardly any of us would... That, that's the natural love path, actually. That, that's exactly what, the nat, what you would do on the natural love path. Right. And actually the most powerful thing that got me to that realisation was just to engage the great experiment intentionally every day. Before then I was praying to God about heaps of things, bring me truth, help me be humble, all those things. But I wasn't asking for love because I thought, I'm not good enough for that yet. I'm not going to get it. I'm going to have to, you know, be a good girl and perform before I get it. Is that, was that a hooray, Angie? <laughs> <laughs> but just, how, how, how many yeah. of you are thinking that you have to be good enough before you're going to get any love? Yeah, the majority of the audience, right? Yeah. That's, not, that's not love then, is it? That's barter. That's what you've done with your parents and that's what you've done with society and maybe even your partner still. But that's not real love. Real love is somebody loving you without you having to work on it or without you having to ha have it. Does that make sense? So, yeah. And, and the thing that really like hit me with that emotion was to... And this is where exactly what Jesus is saying to you. The more you talk about this stuff, it doesn't really help. If you just do the experiment every day, it like gets you like a visual, visceral experience. Like, oh, I feel totally unworthy of this love now that I'm actually asking for it. Yeah. And it's just so powerful to engage the experiment. So this is where faith will challenge you, you see. And this is why probably what we want to do this morning is just revise some of the main points that we learnt yesterday about faith. Should we do that first? So that we can understand the basic principles of what a real true faith will do in terms of, in terms of motivating you, in terms of helping you grow, in terms of growing your own passions and desires and so forth. And, and also in terms, in particular in terms of coming into a relationship with God. So, so what we'll do is we'll first note down the main points that we learned yesterday about faith. Now, what do you feel the first main point is from yesterday? Nina? Yep. If we wait for the mics. Yep. That we inherently learn faith by the time we're three years old based on the experiences that we immediately have. In, and you use the example of gravity. Yeah, I'd put that as point number three or four, actually. So, What's faith based... Oh, yeah, Sarah? It's based on facts and experience. And whose facts? 
Yours? No. Oh. <laughs> no, not at all. Who's that? Yours as in his or yours? <laughs> Whether it's yours or mine, it's not wrong. The answer's wrong. <laughs> absolute facts, absolute truth. Absolute truth. truth. So it's faith based on absolute truth. So it's absolute truth that we're focusing on. And who, who has that? God. God, only God, actually. Only God has absolute truth. None of us, for the rest of our existence, will ever find out everything God has done. Right? So all of you who believe that when you become at one with God, all of a sudden you're all-knowing, well, that's false. You're not going to be all-knowing. Right? You're going to continue to learn more things. You'll be at one with God in love. In other words, you will act in the same manner God would act in harmony with love on every issue, but you won't know everything. Get used to not knowing everything. <laughs> and it's not bad to not know everything. Honestly, most of us, though, when we were children, were brought up in this environment, particularly when we, by the time we got to school, we were punished for not knowing things. Right? And many of us who, who come from that generation who, where there was corporal punishment in schools for not knowing things, many of us become so afraid about not knowing something. Well, God's not like that. God says, no, you're never going to know everything I know. <laughs> That's what God's saying to you. And so give up this feeling that I want to punish you for not knowing too. God doesn't want you to punish you for not knowing. God wants you to have a desire to discover. Right? And what we're trying to do is discover the absolute truth. But the absolute truth is God's domain. And faith is based on absolute truth, not your personal opinion. Not your personal belief, not your wishful thinking, not your hopeful thinking. It's actually based on truth. What do you think happens to faith when we base it on a false belief or a false idea or an untruth? What's going to happen to that kind? What's going to happen to our belief? So what Mary's saying is if you put a faith in something that ends up not being God's truth, what finishes up happening? Like, my parents are all-knowing. <laughs> you know, when I'm three, I might put faith in that. What happens to that faith eventually? Lorleen had a hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I become disillusioned. Well, no, it's even worse than that, actually. <laughs> I get angry? No, no, I'm not talking about your personal emotional experience. What I'm saying is what happens to the belief? What happens to the faith, the thing? If you pass the mic. Back you know, to Glenda, yeah. yeah. I think it becomes arrogance. Well, it does, but it, it even gets worse than that. <laughs> and, and it's not an emotion that I'm asking for here, by the way. It's something else. Cess, maybe, at the back? Right at the back there. Cecily, yeah. You lose your faith. Of course. Of course it disappears, it dies. Anything, you see, the entire of God's universe is created around truth, which is related to God. So if you have faith in something that's not a part of this universal truth, sooner or later it's going to disappear, it's going to die. What can you expect? Of course, all of God's laws are totally oriented around killing it. <laughs> For your own good. <laughs> For your own good, right? So, so having faith in something that is false is pointless. 
And in fact, all of God's laws of the universe are governed to try to destroy that kind of faith. God wants that faith gone. It's not even in harmony with the universe. It's not in harmony with the object of your own creation. So any faith that you have that is based on false beliefs or false opinions, that it is just going to die. Now, you see with a lot of religious faiths on the planet, they are so intent on holding on to what is obviously false beliefs. So, so let's look at one of them. The false belief that there is a chosen race or a chosen religion. Like, it makes no logical sense. It makes no, no reasonable sense. It also makes no emotional sense because it means that God would have favourites and play favourites, right? And so sooner or later, that idea or concept is going to have to die. It doesn't matter whether it's in the Bible or the Koran or any other book. It has to die sooner or later because it's not a part of the truth of God's universe. God has these laws that are constantly working against the faith that most people on the planet have. Because most people have a faith in things that are false. And that's great that, that we have this beautiful like, operation of God's laws attacking, if you like, or, or actually rejecting anything that's false. Sooner or later, people on the planet will recognize, oh yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Sooner or later, they will have to recognize these particular things because all of the laws of the universe are constructed to try to get rid of these false concepts and ideas that we've imbibed from long times and periods of hu in human history. They've all got to disappear. If we're ever going to have a loving op operation on earth with every single person and every single country, many of these false beliefs have to disappear. Does that make sense? They all have got to go. And God's laws, the truth, the absolute truth about God, are constantly opposing these false beliefs and ideas. So any faith that you put in a false belief will be destroyed. Now, if you feel disillusioned, as you mentioned, Molly, <laughs> feel disillusioned. But at the end of the day, it needs to go anyway. Right? Every faith, false idea you have from God's perspective needs to go. And you need to let yourself feel whatever emotion you feel. If you feel disillusioned, feel disillusioned, but let it go. If you feel angry about having been taught something that was false for many years, let that go. If you feel sad about having been taught something false for many years, let that go too. Can you see how when we hold on to those emotions, it's almost like we want to stay out here? We, we want to hold on to the error that it's a bad thing, that what we had faith in proved to be not true. We want to hold on to the fact that that was wrong when really, just as was just pointed out to you, it's a good thing. It's a good thing that you were brought the truth that, hey, that belief's not going to serve you. There's a, there's a better one that is actually based in truth. And it's not only that it's not going to serve you, it's not oh, going to serve all serve of anything. humanity. Yeah. Any faith that's false will resort to violence in order to try to keep itself in play. Right? Can you relate to that? Things that you've had faith in in the past and you've been willing to get angry about, willing to defend. And, and perhaps even feeling like you want to punch someone in the nose about, you know. <laughs> like, and, and, and in fact, whole wars historically have been caused by this. The whole crusades of the Dark Ages 
where the Christian faith is attacking the Muslim faith and so forth, that's all about this. False faithful, faith, false beliefs holding up, you know, wanting to retain their false beliefs and resorting to violence in order to perpetrate them. All right? Now, if we have a true faith, that would never happen. Because all of the true faith is all in the, if you, if you like, all within the universal structure of God's truth. And all of God's truths are loving. So we would never resort to violence just to protect a belief no, if we had true faith. All right? And this is a very important thing to understand about faith. So this is very important to understand this number one thing, and that is that every personal opinion you have, doesn't matter where it came from, sooner or later in your future it has to disappear if you're going to be in complete harmony with God's truth. Right. And if we know that faith, based on false ideas and beliefs, is eventually going to have to die or leave us, the faith that we have in truths, the faith that is based in absolute truth, what's going to happen to that? It's only going to grow, isn't it? Because it reinforces itself with love and truth. Yeah. So that's a very important principle about faith. But the sad thing is that most of humanity has not got the discernment and the knowledge about what the real truth is. I don't agree. Like most, if you apply the ethical uh, standards upon most things in humanity, you can see that straight away all of us would know. So, for example, the ethical standard is I, would, I want to treat you the same way I would like you to treat me. Not, whether, not how you treat me, but how I would like you to treat me. Now, if that's my standard, I would have a large degree of knowledge of truth already. Right? So whenever you start yelling at me, I'd go, do I want to yell at her back? No, because her yelling at me doesn't feel very good. And I wouldn't want to... I, what I would like her to do is stop yelling at me. So I would never yell back at you as a result of that. Does that make sense? If I had that ethical standard. And I feel if we have ethical standards, and if all religions were based primarily on ethical standards first, we would not have any religious violence on this planet. None whatsoever. If we were all brought up with these ethical standards of, I'm going to treat, no matter what your beliefs are, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how you act towards me, I'm going to treat you in the way I want you to act towards me, not in the way that you are acting towards me. Now, if that was taken as my standard, I would already have a lot of truth in my day-to-day -day life. I'd know the truth about what's loving, what's kind, what's considerate, what's, what's the way to treat my brothers and sisters. And remember, we're saying that all truth is based upon love and loving standards. So if that's the case, if I'm just being ethical in my day-to-day -day life, even, and without God, without any knowledge of God, doesn't matter, or with God, it doesn't matter which way, as long as I had ethical standards, I would already have a large degree of truth. Okay, I get that. Yeah. Does that make sense? So, so I don't feel we can say, oh, but we don't know, or the majority of people on earth don't know what's, uh, what's true. I can't agree with that. The majority of us do know, and we don't give a damn. Do you understand? We do know how we would like to be treated, but we are willing to treat other people badly, 
right? Because ours is a special case. Because ours is you know, some kind of, you know, we have some kind of unique circumstances. And we don't. Like, if we, if we look at it properly, we, are, we cannot continue to justify bad behaviour from ourselves towards others, no matter what, how they behave towards us. Does that make sense? And if we continue to justify it, all we are doing is continuing the cycle of badness on the planet. So what happens normally on this planet is that one person yells at another. So that person yells back. And then the other person who yelled first wants to yell louder. So he yells louder. And the other person starts going, well, I can't yell louder than he is now. So what I need to do is get out something like a rock or a gun or a you know, knife or a bazooka and, <laughs> and, and blow him away. You know? and, and this is how wars have begun through this process of anger, rage, anger, rage, escalating into violent rage. And, and none of this works. We should know this by now. We're intelligent people. We know that this escalating violence doesn't work. But if you think about your own life in your own day-to-day -day life, how often does it happen in your family? How often does it happen when, with your own husband and wife relationship where one gets a little bit antsy, the other one escalates, and the other one escalates, and before you know it, there's you know, either crosswords or no words for a few days, like a, a Cold War situation inside <laughs> of the family. And we've had whole countries like you know, Russia and America in a Cold War situation for years and years and years, and we don't, we don't go, wow, yeah, that's probably because in our own families we often revert to Cold War situations. <laughs> and we don't see what's really going on. And what we need to do is take more stock of ourselves, not the other person, but of ourselves. We need to be more honest about our own emotional condition. All and these, sorry. Sorry? Yeah, I was just thinking about all these countries quietly stockpiling weapons. How often we do that in our relationships, we quietly stockpile that. It's oh, like you've got an intellectual <laughs> list of everything the other person has done wrong, and whenever some <laughs> situation flares up, what do you do? You bring Check up the, yeah. the list, you know. <laughs> you did this three years ago and five years ago, you did this and so forth. Isn't that the same as stockpiling a nuclear arsenal? And then you wonder why they, they're, not, they're still stockpiling nuclear arsenals. Well, because your own emotions dictate that kind of action towards another. Instead of letting things go, instead of letting these, these damaging, harmful emotional conditions go. And why don't we let them go? Because we have no faith, no faith that if we are loving, things will become good. So we have no faith in love. That's the reason why we don't let it go. Um, Rob? Rob? Yeah, I don't know if other people have the experience, but you grow up with uh, sort of religious beliefs and, and you realise that a lot of those are false after a while. Mm -hmm. So you end up having no faith. So you say you're actually in a better position then than having the false... Belief? Totally better position. Yeah. Because all the things... Yeah. Remember, if we establish a religious position, many of the things we have a faith in are over in this false beliefs area, right? And, and all of God's laws are all trying to destroy them. I before oh, yeah. E except after C, <laughs> um, please. So, so, so all of God's laws are trying to destroy those beliefs. So it's great when they're all gone. <laughs> Not a bad thing. And a person says, I've got no faith at all now. No, what they've often got in that place is a lot of anger and sadness. 
right? If you let go of the anger and sadness that your faith has been destroyed, now you're, you're with a blank slate and you're willing to now learn the absolute truth from God in that place. And that's a fantastic yeah. place to be. And yeah. ironically, often, as you let go of the anger and the grief about it, truth just seems to float. You go, oh, no, I know that thing was right and that thing was definitely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So I would not be concerned about the sort of the destruction of faith when faith is attached to false beliefs because all false beliefs must be eventually destroyed if we're ever going to experience love on this planet. Any false belief we have about being loving or being unloving needs to go if we're really going to ever, as a society, change where we still honour each other's desires, we still honour each other's individuality, we still honour each other's right to make decisions and choices for their own lives, we still honour that they have different beliefs, but we're unwilling to act out of harmony with love whenever anybody is in a different place than ourselves. A different culture, different religion, different gender, different whatever, it doesn't matter, we're still going to love them. And that is the most important thing that we, we need to realise. And it's the false beliefs that stop us from doing that. And that's why, in the end, God, God wants you to get rid of them. <laughs> so. Lulleen. Oh, yeah, and Graham. So we'll go Lulleen and Graham. Yeah. Um, I just want to um, go... How do I say this? Um, the Eastern philosophy that I followed... I understand now is is not for me, yeah. um, but the when you say it's not for you, is it just not for you, or is it false? Well, it's false that I understand. Okay, <laughs> see, can you say can can you see even there's an unwillingness to state when things are false or true? When when you've discovered something is false, then say it. Yeah. Not not just say it's not for me. That's an avoidance of a conflict with another person who believes in those things. That's what that is. Yeah, it's, you follow me? Yeah, it's family. So, so when you say, oh, the Eastern philosophies that I had before aren't for me, yeah. all you're doing is expressing your fear. And your fear is, I can't say they are false. <laughs> I've discovered that they're false. Yeah. Because other people might get challenged by that. And I'm saying, good, other people need to be challenged by that. <laughs> because anything that is false, as I've just drawn up here, is completely challenged by the universal truth. And it's not my truth, it's God's truth. It's truth that God can teach us through a process. So, so any time we need to be firmer for this truth, we need to go, it's not just good, not good for me anymore, it's not good for the entire planet. Yeah, I guess I'm reiterating what's happened in my family. I know. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> um, when I went down that path for 20 years, and they kept saying, well... What if you discover that you're wrong? And I'll say, well, I'm, I'll be wrong. And now, like, I've changed. And, and you've discovered you were wrong? Yeah, and yeah. if I say anything like what I'm saying, um, they'll, they often go, well, you, you're so arrogant. What makes you think you know? And then I go, well, I know only intellectually what you tell me because I haven't felt it except parts of it. So, no. Yeah, see, I can't agree with that. It, you only know the things you've felt. So you can hear a lot of yeah. things from myself, and we've, like, we've done 900 hours of talking, so <laughs> that is recorded. So that's a lot of things to hear. It does not mean that you know any of them until you feel them. When you feel them, you will not have an arrogance, but you will have a firmness 
for everything that you hear. When, this is one thing you, you, that I feel we don't understand about love. Love is strong once it's based on truth. Right? If love, so-called love, is not based on truth, it's weak as anything. It's weaker than the, than the weakest substance you can imagine because it, all we've got to do is throw a bit of stuff at it and it disappears. Right? But love based on truth is not like that. Love based on truth stands up for itself. It's very different. Well, what I was trying to get to was that... The love that we were taught under this Eastern philosophy mm -hmm. was um, no violence and da da da. Yep. Um, what I understand now is it was a lot of suppression, and um, um, so the. So can I say that the love you were taught to have no violence, for example, yeah. that is that, that's a good thing, is it not? No violence is a good thing. Yeah, but. Uh, it was still coming out of me, but. I agree. But, so the problem was not the teaching, but the fact is that that teaching was not in your heart. That was the problem. So the problem with many beliefs on the planet is not necessarily the teachings themselves, but the fact that the teaching of truth, which is no violence, is a divine truth. God doesn't want any violence, doesn't want us to be violent. So that's a divine truth, right? So that's a divine truth that, that we have a choice of either intellectually trying to follow or it's in our heart. I'm suggesting to you if, it, if, if you were still being violent with people, still being angry with people and so forth, then that means it wasn't in your heart. And that's the problem. The problem is it wasn't in your heart. Now, the, the real question then is, how do I get this teaching, which is the truth, into my heart? That's the real question. How do I get it there? So no matter what philosophy I have, no matter what religious faith I have, the real question becomes, if, this, if I know this teaching of my faith, whatever that my faith is, is an absolute truth of God, because it makes logical sense, it's totally scientific, and it, and it makes uh, it's, uh, social sense as well, and all the other places where, it, where it's logical to apply it towards, and if it makes total sense to me, then, then the issue that I face personally is how do I get that teaching in my heart? That's the issue. And I'm saying to you, it's very hard to get it in your heart through your own effort. Right? The way to get it into your heart is to receive some of God's love into your heart and then whatever is the reason why this teaching is not in your heart will be exposed and you'll have to process some emotion about it. And you'll let go of the idea or concept that violence is justified under certain circumstances. And that will happen in your heart. Now, remember when uh, Rochelle asked her first question today, the issue is we get into our head thinking that we can practice divine truth by following what's in our head. But the reality is we can't. It can only happen by our heart being transformed. And our heart can only be transformed by two methods. One method is you using personal effort to change your heart every single moment of your life. That's one method. That's called the natural love method. The second method is you, through a relationship with God, receiving God's love into your heart, which will automatically expose all of these errors that are in your heart and release them. That's the second method. 
that is the method I'm recommending to you because it's the fastest method to change. Most people who are members of religions do not actually change in their heart. They change their actions without changing their heart. And so what happens? A, an external circumstance of some kind comes up, such as somebody murders their own child or some, some kind of very extreme circumstance like that. And immediately, because this action was not in their heart, they revert to what is in their heart instantly. A justification in this case of violence. Right? That's why we have violence continually, even though most religions on the planet teach otherwise. So if you look at most of the holy books on the planet, they all mention that it's not loving to be violent all the time. Right? And yet, what do we see? We still see religious violence. Why? Because the teaching hasn't entered the heart. If the teaching had entered the heart, there would be no motivation towards religious violence. There would be no motivation for violence of any sort if the teaching was in the heart. So the key question then is how do I get the teaching in the heart? That's the key question, isn't it? Because if we truly want to change what goes on on this planet, we are going to need to have God's truth written in our heart. Not, not on a piece of paper somewhere, not in a book somewhere, but actually written on our heart so much so that it's an automatic thing for us to engage that particular truth. Does that make sense, Lolly? Yeah, but uh, what I'm feeling is, okay, if I'm believing that I'm praying, that mm -hmm. I, it's not happening, yeah. then I'm doing something that is not... I haven't... I don't know what else to do if... Like I've got all these Well, you're not being honest with yourself. Yeah. If you're, Sorry, <laughs> if you're believing you're play, praying and nothing's happening yeah. and you're not getting the answers you want, you, what you think you want, then you're not being honest with yourself. You you're not really you have praying. to do this. Everyone, all of us, have to do this thing. Get real. Like many of you go, many of you go, oh, I've prayed for divine love, but I haven't received much. And, then you, and, I, and I say, why? And you go, I don't know. What? How can you not know? From God's perspective, he wants to give you it. So what can be the only reason why you're not receiving it? Because you don't want it for some reason. That's the only reason. Uh, that and can be the only reason. Yeah, and I feel often, often we have these ideas of ourselves that we want to hold on to. We want to go, no, I was really praying. And, I, I, and really, when we sincerely engage in prayer... It is my experience that even if I don't receive divine love, I certainly get a lot more real with what's inside of me because it's a hard opening process, prayer. So, but often these things start coming up and we go, no, no, that's not me. No, -uh. no, no, I couldn't have that feeling because I judged that one. Or, you know, I actually just want God to meet my demands. Or as you were talking about yesterday, just make my pain go away. Or actually, I don't... Like I shared earlier, I don't feel worthy of this love. But what we're not, we're not seeing in all of that, I feel, is that God is showing us every single moment of every single day what is wrong. Yeah. So we've got to be pretty blind <laughs> to not see it. Honestly, we do. We have to be pretty blind to not see it. Every law of the universe is created for you to see it. And if you're asking God, if, if you're engaging this biggest law of divine love, the, the, the law that we started talking about tomorrow, and you're engaging this law accurately, and, and you're asking God to receive God's love into your heart, right? 
to help transform you and you're not receiving, then don't go blaming God and say, oh, maybe God doesn't want to do it today. Or maybe, maybe God's gone to sleep, you know, like maybe I've got to wake God up first. Knock, 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 knock. You wake up. Or, or what, is it? what is it that we're trying to do with God? God's there all the time waiting for us to have a sincere, pure desire for this love. So if we're not receiving it, we can only reflect that it must be something that we are doing. Right? We stop, we've got to stop being blind to that. Absolutely. Lots of us have decided we can see evidence of all these laws working. We, we have experiences and we think, oh, I can see that the law of attraction is really real. And then when we go to pray, we go, yep, but not on this occasion. I think, you what, know? <laughs> I think what we need to do is raise the next issue because yeah. it will help also solidify what we need to do with faith, right? Because it, it's really important to understand how all of this affects your day-to-day life. Many, many of you are getting so complicated in your internal reasoning that, that, that you're going way, way away from the simplicity of something that a child can understand with regard to their relationship with God. And so it's very important that you give up all of this intellectual reasoning in the way that you're doing it because a lot of it is driven by doubt and fear, which is the opposite of faith. So most of our intellectual reasonings are all driven by doubts and fears. So when I say God is a God of love, you say, but oh, but what about when this happened on the earth or that happened on the earth? Where was the God of love then? Well, there's your doubt and fear coming up. Feel it. Allow yourself to work your way through it. If you got raised towards God about it, let yourself process that. But get to the point where you've let these things go so that you're clear enough to be able to reason on this issue that God is love, for example. Now, there's so many people, so many religions that say God is love. New Age religion, the, the, uh, well, I, I suppose they wouldn't like me calling them a religion, but um, the New Age sort of process of spirituality, you know, the Hindu religion, the Buddhist religion, the, the Muslim religion, and the Christian religion. So all of those religions uh, basically assume that God is a God of love, and yet they don't act that God is... A, there's no belief in that, in their heart. They justify violence constantly. They even think God justifies violence constantly, which is the opposite of love. Right? So, so that it's not in the heart. That is the problem. So the question is, how do we get it in the heart? So let's look at what the next issue is with regard to faith. What do you think it might be? So this is... The faith is based on an absolute truth. Right? So we, we've got that. Yep. So what's next? And I think you have trouble finding out what's next, actually. Yep. So we might as well read out what's next. <laughs> faith holds on to absolute truth in all circumstances. So here faith believes absolute truth, but it also holds on to absolute truth. Now, what do we mean by that? Faith recognises that inside of yourself you have a lot of errors. Faith recognises that. And what it does is it says, right, obviously God is a God of love, but inside of me, sometimes I think God's not a God of love. Sometimes I think God's punishing me. Sometimes I think God's cruel. Sometimes I think, you know, and whatever, put, it, put anything after that about God that you believe that's out of harmony with love. Sometimes I think God justifies violence. Sometimes I think God's not very just. Sometimes I feel like the things that happen to me are, are very unjust, and that, is, that means that God's not just. 
and so forth, right? These are the kinds of belief we have inside of ourselves. Now, we honour the fact that we have these beliefs when we have faith. We honour the fact that we have beliefs that are out of harmony with love inside of ourselves, right? But what we do is we hold on to the truth of these things. So, for example, if my belief is that God, God is sometimes... Punishing, and even intellectually, I realize so from an intellectual perspective, I realize, um, in contrast to that, that God is never punishing, then what I would do if I had faith is that I would always act in harmony with that belief, even though it's not inside me yet. Right? And I would be willing to emotionally process through that belief that is false at the same time. Now, many of you are trying to accept this belief while not emotionally processing through that belief. And of course, you're not going to have faith like that. You have to do both things. You, if you're going to accept this truth which you can recognize even intellectually and logically as a truth or that is divine in nature or that must come from God. And at the same time, you realize that that's the feeling you have within yourself. If you're unwilling to process your way through that feeling, you will never actually finish up having this feeling in your heart. The false belief will prevent the truth from ever entering your heart. So many of you are trying to act in harmony with this without releasing this. And it's impossible to change that way. Impossible. Many of you have been doing it for years and it's totally impossible. Many of you are becoming tired of doing it and I understand why. Because it's impossible. Right? It's impossible to change this way. And there's often a lot of anger associated with these feelings. And unless we're willing to be humble to the process of feeling that and feeling what's underneath it, then we end up actually gathering evidence for a lack of faith. We see everything around us and go, yep, there's more evidence that this is true. Yep, there we go. Remember yesterday, Sam, Sam, where are you now? Are you here today, Sam? Yep, you asked the question, remember? You said, how can I have faith in love? I don't believe in love. It's going to take from me. So here, if if we substitute Sam's example into here, Alright. So what are, what are your feelings about love, Sam? If we can maybe hand the mic to her. What are your feelings about love? Your true feelings, you know? The ones that you don't want to admit to anybody in yourself sometimes. Um, I feel that um, when I'm in a uh, situation where someone loves me, that that means that they're going to take... So love, if we write down the definition of love for you, love takes. Yep. Um, I feel like uh, love sacrifices. Sacrifices. And demands. Demands. Yeah, Mother's Day, good demanding day. (laughs) (laughs) Who's feeling guilty? You're not with your mum. Or maybe you are. It's just like this sucking feeling, you know? Okay. Sucks the life out of me. (laughs) 
And do you feel like there's duty involved, Sam? Like yes. there's roles and obligation. Duty? Obligation. Duty, obligation. Now, how many of you would have to admit that's how you feel about love? Huh? Quite a lot of us, right? Now, I've said for five years that love isn't like that, and none of you have accepted the truth. In your heart, you still feel this about love. Does that make sense? So what is the truth about love that you've been taught for five years? That love is a gift. Right? It never sacrifices. Right? It never demands. And I've said all of these things to you over and over again, yes? It gives you life. There is no duty and complete freedom. <laughs> now that's, that's almost the polar opposite, is it not? Of the previous thing. Now, here, understand, Sam, I'm not making fun of you because I feel that the majority of people have, still have these beliefs about love. Do you understand? This is a very common thing, that this is how we see love. Yeah? Now, this is God's truth. This is yours. Your, this is your opinion, your belief. Now, how is God's truth ever going to get into your heart while these beliefs remain in your heart? The answer is, it's not. It doesn't matter how much we talk about it, it's not going to happen. And what I've found is sitting in my anger about this set of beliefs not only causes me to emotionally gather evidence look around me and go, yep, there it is again, yep, there it is again, yep, there it is again. That's, it, and it reinforces itself. Proof to me, proof yeah. to me, this proves it's to me, I'm right. Demand, I'm, right. I'm right, I'm right, yep. I'm right. Love <laughs> is sacrifice, love is demand, love is obligation. I don't want any part of it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and any man comes along, he says, oh, I love you, you're beautiful. You go, no, you don't, this is what you like. <laughs> Isn't that how it is? Right? Why do you think half of the ladies are not in a relationship? Isn't that how you feel? So, so it's like, oh, no, no, I can't have, have that. <laughs> but what I've found is if I'm willing to act in a little bit of faith and even emotionally entertain this idea, immediately a lot of other feelings start to happen in relation to this other belief. Suddenly, my anger is like my defence mechanism. Yep, and I've got lots of evidence. As soon as I emotionally exercise some faith, entertain, okay, maybe this is wrong. Not only do I start to feel more pain about this situation, which is exactly what I'm trying to avoid in my angry stance, but I suddenly recognise, hang on, there is loads of evidence for this second truthful belief. But when I'm sitting in that rage about this one, I don't even you see it. You won't see them. So how do we get that to there? That's the question, isn't it? Well, the, the first thing is, we need to get rid of that out of there, <laughs> don't we, obviously? And we need to also, at the same time, have faith that this is the actual true position. You see, at the moment, many of you don't have faith that that is the actual true position. Right? So what would be the quickest, most rapid-fire way to do exactly what he just said? To get this out of me and have faith in this, what would be the number one thing I could do? Not cry. Oh, pray. Pray. Who's got a mic? Yep, Graham. 
act on the second one? No. Well, how would you act on the second one? Um, don't sacrifice, don't demand. No, there's an even quicker thing you could do. Fab? Experiment? Yep, how would you experiment? I try that love is a gift and that love doesn't sacrifice in myself. And who's the best person to experiment with? God. Yep. Mm. Ask God for love. Yeah. See how it turns out. See yeah. whether God's love takes from you or gives to you. See whether God's love demands anything from you or just is. See whether God's love sucks, sucks the life out of you <laughs> or makes you feel like enlivened. And see what emotions start coming up in me as I ask and as I receive. This is, this is in contrast to the way that lots of us have been trying, which is, I'll just cry that out of me, and then I'll be brave enough to ask God for love. And, and see I don't if even it's feel right. most of you have been trying that, to be frank. Most of you have been trying, no, I want to keep <laughs> believing that love is demanding. How dare you tell me love isn't demanding? How and dare you tell evidence. me that? I, I think it is. I think it is. Don't try to tell me something different. <laughs> That's how most of us have been, right? And, and isn't that how the world generally is? when we talk about love or truth or any other thing like that. Don't tell me that. That's not right. You know, and they fight for this false belief. And the reality is most of us are still fighting for our false beliefs because this has been our experience up till now so, with so-called love, right? But we haven't recognized one thing, and that is none of that is love. What we've been experiencing isn't love. If, when it, if we were taken from, sacrificed, we had demands made of us, it sucked the life out of us and we had duty and obligations, none of that is love. And we're still calling it love. We still believe it's love. And that's our problem. Because if we started to see love is like this, love is a gift that never sacrifices, never demands, and we believed that was love, do you think we'd be so upset about love? Of course not, you'd be wanting it. <laughs> you'd want to receive it, right? Can you see, we have to have some faith in that process that this is the true position. So faith holds on to the absolute truth. Faith does not hold on to the error. Most of you are still trying to hold on to the error. And of course, you're not going to have much faith like that. Yeah? If we have Ludi. Um, I've got some confusion about faith versus truth. Yep. Because you talk about um, faith being based on an experience, and so you have an experience, and then the truth enters you. Yeah, but it has to be a truthful experience. It can't be an error-based experience. See, this is the thing where many of you started to get confused yesterday. You were thinking I was talking about one thing when I was talking about something completely different. And this is what we want to clarify today. So if we continue to clarify what we spoke of yesterday in this manner, I'm sure it will become clear to you how experience affects your faith. But, huh? Can I carry on? All right. Um, it seems like you need to, to take a leap of faith in order to get the experience. You to do. Get the faith. That's, the, that's the point of faith. But this is why I don't understand. But you take a leap of faith in the truth that you know at this point in time. This is how I feel about it, is that in order to grow faith, I have to experiment. So in that moment, there's not, on this issue, there's not faith in me about this. I'm experimenting with it. That allows me to have an experience which grows my faith. 
But this second point that we're talking about is that some of us have had experiences which have grown our faith in certain truths, but then we don't want to act in harmony with them, and so our faith can never grow. Does that make sense? Sorry. What's the problem? T- tell me the emotional problem. You feel faithless. Oh, I've got complete confusion. Okay. Now, what's your primary problem that we've always discussed with you? <laughs> Whenever you go into confusion, what do you do? Um, I, my brain stops working. Exactly. Yeah. Why does this happen? Because of the spirit. You've got a clever... Like, Luli, by the way, is a brain scientist, basically. <laughs> and her brain stops working when she gets confused. Right. She's okay. not used to being confused. So why does this happen? You're not used to being confused. Yeah. But, but what happens when you get confused? What emotionally happens? I start to panic. Yes. So what's starting to happen now is fear starts coming up in you. What does fear do? Well, that's what shuts down my brain, right? Fear shuts down everything. It shuts down your ears, your eyes, everything. (laughs) It shuts down everything. It's a terrible, terrible response. And and the reason why is because it, it has certain psychological effects on us as well, fear. And so what happens is... We, we hear something, we hear something, and then as, the, then as the confusion grows, which is the real emotion that you feel, the confusion grows. Instead of just sitting with what being presented with and pondering about it, you want to understand it right now. Why do you have to understand it right now? What happened in your childhood? Yeah. So you have to understand it right now. Because right now means that now you're clever, now you're good, now you're daddy's girl again, right? right? All these right now things. You don't have to understand it right now. What we're presenting here, you, you, God, God's okay with you not understanding it for the next 10 years. But you're not. <laughs> That's the problem, right? But go on. That's the emotional problem. Do we still want to work with the fear or what do we want to do? Well, I sat in confusion all day yesterday, yes. and then I was following Mary's advice of voicing it today. Awesome. <laughs> ask a question. That's good. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Yeah. But so understand where your confusion is coming from. Yeah, yeah. It's not coming from anything we're presenting. It's coming from this feeling that happens inside of you that when you get into confusion, your fear is triggered. As soon as your fear is triggered, now it's very hard to hear anything. It's very hard to understand in that place. So what I'm suggesting is maybe watch this video over and let yourself have the fear, let yourself feel the fear, let that go. And then when you let it go, you'll go, oh, that's what they were saying. You know? And you won't need to have it reasoned upon and reasoned upon over and over again before you get it. And it's actually better that it happens that way because you get rid of some fear in the process. Fear that is influencing all of your ability to understand. Does that make sense? Could I just um, talk about this one thing, though, that I think Luli is getting at? (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday we talked about faith, or you talked about faith, growing through having an experience, didn't you? Yeah, but it has to be an experience based on truth. And the question, I think, does anyone else have the question, what do you do when you haven't had the first experience? Yeah, so everyone has, or a lot of you have that question. And that's where I believe we experiment based on some intellectual faith. Yep. Do you understand the difference between an intellectual faith, which is really just a concept or an idea based on logic? Right? Now, most of you 
have some logic? Or, or maybe not? <laughs> is that an assumption? <laughs> logic, logic is possible when we reason, reason about things, right? This is like God gave us a brain. Use it. <laughs> like most religions say, no, no, faith is not about using your brain. I can't agree, right? They say faith is all about there's this, this, this thing, it doesn't have to make sense. I can't agree with that either. It has to make complete sense. Right? If you're going to have any faith at all, it has to begin with something making complete sense. Right? So, so what I'm suggesting to you is, is forget about this faith in all these abstract concepts and ideas, that, you know, they're just great ideas or whatever, and focus on what does make complete sense. And that was what I would call an intellectual... concept or an idea... Or should we put in quotations an intellectual faith, an intellectual concept or idea that this might be, might be, because we don't know for certain, but this might be the absolute truth. Right? Now, the reason why many of you keep coming along to my presentations, even though the, that it's not in your heart yet, is because you believe in your intellect that it might be the truth. But why hasn't the faith grown, the heart faith grown? What's the missing ingredient? The experiment, exactly. Well, I feel there's two missing ingredients, okay. actually. The first one is the willingness to make the experiment, right? And we'll talk more about the experiment in a minute when we make our final list about faith, <laughs> <laughs> right? But the, another reason is that the experiment would give us love. And love is what grows real faith. Love results in real Solid faith growing. Does that make sense? And this is why in the message of Solomon that was written in 1916, I should mention, Connie pointed out, it's the 20th of April 1916 on the, on the pageant messages. He said, the love will come and with it, faith. Right? True faith. So true faith is a heart-based operation not a head-based operation, but it has to be based on logic. It can't be based on just a concept or an idea that's wishful thinking. It has to have actually happened, not something that just we imagined happened. Right? Many people say, we ask many people, have you received divine love? They say, oh, yeah, I think I have. What? If you think you have, you haven't. <laughs> Probably, if that's what you're saying. You will know when you have. And you'll know. You'll know that you've received some divine love. Now, some people say to us, oh, yeah, I think I have, and it felt really wonderful, and I, uh, and I felt really happy for days and days, and it was really great, and I was having all of... Everybody was giving me exactly what I wanted, and I'm going, yeah. That sounds to me like a spirit giving you some addictions, not God giving you some love, because God confronts all of your addictions. Right? In fact, in this process... Trying an experiment and asking for and receiving love, what, like that brings up a lot of emotion, even just the first step, doesn't it? We just talked about how most of us don't do it because we want to hold on to these ideas about love. Most of you so, don't experiment for reasons. You're afraid, you're afraid that you're wrong, you're afraid of all sorts of things. Afraid that God's not going to give you it and that means that you're, there's something wrong with you. 
right? And all these things. Yeah? And do you know why I feel lots of us get distressed when we start talking about this faith issue? It's similar to Lulu, like, hang on, hang on, look at, look at it. What happens if I don't have it yet? Is <laughs> because we are uncomfortable with that feeling of like, hang on, to get faith, I'm going to have to do something that might feel a little bit scary. Might have to take risks. And often that's, I know from personal experience, every time the topic of faith would come up, I would just get, I'd go into meltdown because I'd be like, well, what is it? How do I get it? And, what is, and anything but the truth, which was, I already knew, that I just needed to do these two things. That's all. Yeah. Yep. So let's write down more of this because it, as, it, as it fleshes out, what we will see is, and, and perhaps by the time we presented everything that is a summary of faith, um, we'll be able to ask more questions about that and get and get a concise feeling within ourselves what what it means to have faith so what's the next one okay faith is based upon experience so this is the faith based on experience so this is a lot of what we've already been mentioning hey now, if the experience was painful, then that tells us that error was involved. <laughs> if the experience was pleasurable, that tells us that there might be two reasons for that. One is that we're in our addiction, or two, that we're actually having a truth-based experience. Now, if it's addiction, it will eventually turn out to be painful in the long run. <laughs> so in both cases, we're going to, it's going to turn out to be painful. The only one that's going to turn out to be pleasurable is the truth. If the experience has been truthful, based on absolute truth of the universe. So, so true faith is based on knowing the experience. And it's very hard to describe because many of you are so intellectually bound with having certain experiences still and trying to work out everything intellectually that it's very hard for us to define to you what it feels like when you all of a sudden become aware of a truth and it's not just the same as having a light bulb moment, you know, as they say. It's not only a light bulb moment, but, but rather it's a moment that actually affects the rest of your life from that instant onwards, right? Because of the other qualities of faith which we'll go through in a minute. Remember, here what we're doing is we're defining, and, and maybe we should put it up the top, <laughs> we're defining faith by giving you a, a number of points which all must be true. Do you understand? In order for there to be real faith, all of these points must be true. They, it must be based on absolute truth, it must hold on to the absolute truth, it must be based on an experience that you have, not just a thought that you've got, an experience that you had. It can't be just a personal opinion or a personal belief. None of those things are ever going to satisfy your faith, ever. That's why a lot of religions have so much difficulty with this. You know, They say, oh, we have faith that Jesus' blood gives us a relationship with God. How many Christians actually feel that? Every time they look up at the cross that's sitting in their church, they wonder why Jesus is still hanging there. Wouldn't you wonder why he's, I'm still hanging there? Like, like, like I go and I go, yeah, 
there's a person who is hung up on sacrifice, literally. An organisation. An organisation that's hung up on the belief of sacrifice. Now, we said earlier that sacrifice is not love. So it's not hung up on love, it's hung up on the opposite of love, right? And these kind of problems cause this painful feeling. So everyone feels pain when they start having their religious faith, many people. And the reason why they feel so much pain and no joy is because they are hung up on the principle of sacrifice, many of them. And that's one reason why they're feeling pain. Eventually, the error will be exposed through the painful experience. Yeah? That's what will happen. Jen? Is it true then that the experience then you, you feel like you grow and that you have clarity or a surety on an issue? You do, but it's even bigger than that in that it affects you for the rest of your life without you having to think about it again. So it's like a life-changing moment. So, so it's a life-changing moment that makes you automatically do new things without you having to try. Right? It feels like to step out in faith, there's like a fog. And then when you actually hit the mark, it's like that fog lifts and there's a sense of, of like a firmer foundation. I agree. Faith, faith in the end will lead to a firmer foundation. But you can't expect it right at the, right at the start. And this is the problem many of you have. Many of you wish to have right at the start a feeling that everything's firm. We want faith before we go through the experience of getting faith, so it doesn't feel scary yeah. to get the faith. Yeah. <laughs> but you can't get faith that way. Thank you. But the beautiful thing is once we start, then it's less scary and it's more giving and more exciting as we go, but we have to take that first step. Yeah. Yeah. And if we come across to Kate and across to Laura. I was just um, thinking about what we learned through yesterday when you were exploring the physical laws, faith in physical laws, how faith was a building thing, like how the first time they flow, it, it, they flow, flow. Yeah, yeah. Um, it went for seconds, but then it built up and now it can go for like, you know, days. Mm -hmm. um, so I was just sort of thinking about how... Um, those light bulb moments or moments of intuition, like it can be building to potentially to um, exactly like these bigger experiences that you're talking about that are life changing. Yeah, can, can we just point out at qualities three, three different qualities and the, their relationship? There's the quality of love, there's the quality of faith, and the quality of truth, and they all have very, very similar attributes in that they are all. Infinite in nature. Now, if they're infinite in nature, that means that at any one point in time, you will not have the full limit of the quality. It will grow through an experience. In other words, be constructed through an experience. It's like building a building that never ends. Does that make sense? And so, if it's infinite in nature, love is infinite in nature, God's love we're talking about, God has this beautiful thing where our faith can continually grow and, become, and, and be continually growing all the way through infinity. And truth, God's truth is infinite in nature. They're all very similar in their quality. If you look at uh, all of them too, they all have joy. 
whenever you truly describe, have a feeling of love, you will always experience joy. Whenever you have true faith, you will always have joy. Joy doesn't depart. Many, for many of you, in the experience of divine truth, joy departs and then comes back and then departs and then comes back, right? Well, this is because the time when it's departed, it's because there's no faith. Because if there was faith, it would never depart. Does that make sense? And the same goes with truth. When truth, when we get truth and it actually enters our soul, there's this feeling of joy. We're overjoyed. We're not, we're not like most of you have been with me and they go, oh no, what's he going to say next? What's he going to say next? No, no, I don't want to hear another thing. You know, that's, that's not what we're like. We go, yeah, I want this truth. You know, that's the feeling we have in it. It's the same It's the joy. Now, remember yesterday, Mary was going to point out that we listed lots of qualities. Can you of remember? Love. Do you remember? Do you remember what they were? The feelings. We can just yell them out. Excitement. Okay. So when you... Excitement or passionate. Now, when you experience love, you will be excited. When you experience true faith, you will also be excited. When you experience truth in your heart, you will also get excited. Right? This is the interesting thing about love because really, in a lot of ways, faith and truth are attributes of love. So they are all related in the way in which they operate and how the experience they have inside of you. Does that make sense? So it's very important to understand that. Sorry, about <laughs> Sorry, you go, you go. I don't want to rush you. you uh, conversely, in order for us to experience, express, receive love, there's two really great building blocks to, to prepare our soul for that process, faith and truth. It's such a cool like, thing, isn't it? <laughs> right. And so if you're not experiencing many of those things we listed yesterday with regard to love, then, you're, then it means also that you're probably not experiencing them with regard to faith and regard to truth. And isn't that the case, if you, think, if you reflect upon that? Yeah. So, so these qualities are very, very related to each other. Now, love is the biggest of all of these qualities, but, but faith, uh, truth, I would say, is, is an essential part of love, but faith is also an essential part of love. And that's going to not change even once you become at one with God. Because to go further than that and discover more truth, you're going to have to have some faith that more truth can be discovered. That makes sense, doesn't it? So, so these qualities, if you build them now inside of yourself while you're sitting here on earth, they are going to be essential for the rest of your life. They're going to affect every single aspect of your life, every single passion and area of passion that you have. So, so if you're passionate about music, for example, these three qualities are going to eventually affect you in some way. If you're passionate about science, these three qualities will affect you in some way. Even after you become at one with God, you will still need to grow more faith in things that you have yet to discover. Right? Because we don't know all the truth because of the first quality. All, all of these things are infinite in their nature. Right? They allow, we can continually grow with them. And you know what's beautiful as well? And Apart is, from that, like, wow. <laughs> is God created these qualities all infinite in nature 
And then God created the human soul that is also capable of having these qualities enter it infinitely. So God created your soul with the ability to receive and grow each of these infinite kind of qualities in an infinite manner. That's the beauty of the creation of your soul. And your mind doesn't have that quality. Your spirit body's mind is useless when it comes to understanding these qualities. right? Your physical brain is useless understanding these things. So, so because they are all infinite in nature and your physical mind and your, phys your physical brain and your spirit body's mind are not unlimited in their nature and never will be. Never will be. So this is why it's such an important thing to understand. That these infinite qualities can enter your infinitely expanding soul. And in fact, they are qualities that change your infinitely expanding soul. Alan? Can I? Uh, got them here. Whoa. Whoa. That's the, it's the streamers from the ceiling moment, isn't it? Like fairy dust. I'm getting bubbles up my back. Could be a yeah. spirit. Um, a lot of our spirit friends, you know, our, our celestial spirit friends have... have have personally experienced what I'm describing to you. Yeah. So that's why sometimes when I'm talking about it, you get, whoa. And that, that's them going, whoa, this is, you, you have to understand this because it's so important to you, the rest of your existence, not just your existence here. Yeah. Oh, thanks, guys. Um, a question I have, um, a topic of interest, a couple of weeks ago you mentioned on a, a video on the, through the healing group that Christians... A lot of people in certain religions, I think it was Christians you mentioned, are developed more in love than what we are currently. Yes, I agree. So my question is, um, if you're following a particular spiritual path or a religion that has a, a high percentage of error, yep. teachings in it, how, how are they developing their faith and developing more love when there's... yeah? Do you know what? That many Christians have some truth has entered them that hasn't entered many of us and they have faith in some things that haven't entered many of oh, us. What do you think yeah. they are? Even though there's a whole bunch of error in their faith system. I guess they're believing truth. more in God and God's love. Yes, exactly. so they have a very strong focus on God's love. Yeah. Good. And what's the second one? Relating to... Personal experience of... The Oh, is it the same second one that you've got that no, I've no, got? No, no, you're far away. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going out on a limb. <laughs> I think it's about something about between each other. That, that Jesus mentioned earlier. That if we all developed this, we would have more truth already. Ethics. Was that your number two? <laughs> Morals, yeah. Remember, it's what's in the heart, not what's in your head, that defines how developed you are. So for many Christians, they've received a lot of love, God's love, into their heart because they've had a sincere desire for it and they have a strong faith that they're going to receive it. 
and they've had personal experiences of receiving it when they're singing in church or whatever it is they're receiving it right and as a result of that they've received divine love and they also have acted in harmony with the ethics as they've described in the Bible now some of the Bible's ethics are off but many of the Christians focus primarily on my words in Matthew where I said that you do unto others what you would have them do unto you and that's their ethical stance and as a result of that many of them are very very loving in their actions with each other now because of those two particular things they've got quite a strong faith and I've noticed there's a lot of excitement when you hear about their charity work overseas and, and how they got stuck in an airport and there was a terrorist thing and they, and they just prayed and had a lot of faith that they would get out of that situation exactly and things happen even better than that exactly because God answers everyone not it doesn't matter what what uh, intellectual belief system you have and it doesn't matter if you believe that Jesus died for your sin and all these other belief systems God's responding to the heart feeling that you have inside of you and many Christians have a very strong heart feeling heart feelings that many of you have yet to actually discover within yourself does that make sense yeah it does. And, and by the way many Muslims have a heart, same kind of heart feeling with God by the way Right? So many of these religions that you have personally condemned in the past because of their false beliefs, right? you have been judgmental of because of their false beliefs, they're actually doing better than you are because they have this heart-based And I've just feeling. been touching on and crying how I've been judging certain yep. spiritual practices and, yep. including and the ones that I practiced in the yeah, past. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Can you see how that's helping you develop yeah. this heart feeling of ethics and morality? Yeah. 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 So so this is why it's so important to give up these concepts that we have of judging other people for what they believe. It's not what they believe that mat that matters so much because what did I say about people's personal beliefs and opinions? They don't matter at all. <laughs> what matters is what's in their heart. And honestly, I've, I've talked to many people from all sorts of walks. Of, I've talked to atheists that have better feelings in their heart than some of you do towards me. Right? Atheists, who you condemn as not having any belief in God at all. And, and I go, no, they have a lot of natural love in them, these guys that I've spoken to. They care about me as an individual. They, they are respectful of my space, time and energy, much more than many of you have been. And so that tells me they have more love in their heart. And it's love in your heart that matters. Not love like, as, you, as an intellectual concept. It's how you actually act and what's inside of your heart that matters. That's how, that's what all of God's laws that govern the universe are all about that. So that probably brings us to something I, I probably should list as well. And that is God's laws itself. <laughs> Remember yesterday we said that faith is based upon. Is based upon universal law. Which is all, I'm talking now about God's laws, which are all truth and all loving. All right. Okay. Now there's some more that we, you want to... Yep, number five. Five. Um, faith comes when divine love comes, which you've already mentioned a little. Yep. 
Now, here we're talking about, remember, we discussed faith from a purely physical perspective yesterday, but now we're talking about faith in regard to your relationship with God. And faith comes when God's love enters you. So just on that point, babe, would you say these first four, we could apply to faith in anything? Yes. So the first four, you can apply to faith in anything. So the Wright brothers <laughs> grew their faith based on those four things, the faith that they could fly, have an aeroplane. Yep. But faith in God and God's nature will only start coming when this starts getting engaged. Yep. Should we list all the other points before we discuss them? Perhaps that's a good thing. Okay. This one we've, we just mentioned earlier. Faith comes from love and is therefore similar in nature to love. Uh, uh, what we're saying there basically is that faith, love and truth all have similar qualities. Similar qualities. And we've written here in our notes... Yeah. Qualities. Without truth, neither love nor faith can exist. So truth is always this building block. Or, and this is where, when we don't have any faith yet through experience, if we have some intellectual faith in truth that we've heard and test it in an experiment, we grow faith. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it can never be stagnant is something that um, you wanted to mention probably related to that yeah. same as truth uh, same and, as and love, particularly rather. one quality is the infinite nature right and that means that you are never going to stop you're never going to stagnate so a faith that stagnates and many religious uh, um, many religions experience this on earth where a person initially when they become involved in their religion they feel a lot of excitement and passion and they get involved in their religion and they're really going well. And then after five years or ten years of that, it, the passion slows down. And eventually it comes to a grinding halt. Now that's an indication that now the faith has not grown infinitely and therefore there must be errors involved in that particular faith. That's Otherwise it would continue growing. That's those laws that we talked about earlier with the big circle and the little circle beginning to work on the faith, trying to expose the error. It stops and there's other things then start to get triggered and confronted. Yep. Yep. Okay. You're listing just the bold ones here, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yep. Uh, faith leads us to act. Okay. Faith creates actions. Okay, so they are the primary points that we were trying to make tomorrow. Not always well. Yesterday, you mean? <laughs> Yesterday, sorry, not tomorrow. <laughs> and I uh, don't know how that happened. <laughs> Some kind of time shift happened. Yeah. We're not back tomorrow. <laughs> so what would you like to know about those things? Can we discuss some of those things? If we go to Paul, up the side there first. Is it like that if I have an experience and I feel like something's true in the way that, oh, I feel like 
this, what I felt today was from God, mm -hmm. that I need to back myself with that belief and hold on to that. And so next week when I'm struggling with something, I think, no, I, I, I believe, I back myself that that really happened. Yes. This is the issue many of, you, many of us face, right? What we have, it happens is we have an experience and then over time we start forgetting the experience. Now, now, true faith doesn't do that either, actually. Faith remembers the experience and adds it to the next experience. It, it, it is additive in nature. It doesn't take away, doesn't divide things. It adds to them, right? And multiplies them, in fact. So, so this is the thing we need to understand about faith. Whenever we are not choosing to remember, right, what previous experiences of faith have brought us, we are, we are purposefully encouraging our doubts and fears. Does everyone understand what I meant by that? Whenever you are choosing to not remember a real experience that actually occurred, you are purposefully trying to avoid that real experience. So you are purposefully acting out of harmony with, in harmony with doubt and fear and out of harmony with truth. So when we have real faith, we don't do that. Each experience adds to the previous one. And as long as the experiences are based on truth, it will, it will end up with continual growth. If we're becoming stagnant, then we're already, it's already telling us, oh, I've not got continual growth. So, so therefore, there's something false in this belief. There's something false in the way that I'm acting or feeling that I need to discover. And prayer will help you discover it, easy enough. God's universe is already trying to expose it to you. Right? But yes, you're right, Paul. Unless you remember these things, you will often... It's, what I see people often doing is they almost take every one of these experiences as a... As a um, an isolated, an event. isolated event, yes, is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And it's like... Try, it, Developing that trust in myself. Yes, well, that's a part of what God's trying to teach you. Is it you. trust in yourself? It's like um, believing that that it's real for myself. Yeah, yeah, but but you will believe it's real if you had the experience. Yeah, but I mightn't tomorrow. That's the problem, isn't it? The problem is that we forget the experience, and we we need to not forget our experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel it's sort of, it's not really growing a faith in myself. It's growing a faith in the truth that it was exposed to me through the experience. Can you see the difference in those See, I, I don't know if I agree with Mary no, on that okay. subject. Yeah, yeah go. Because, because the, the beautiful thing about God's love and God's truth and faith is it not only causes you to trust God more, but it also finishes up causing you to trust yourself more as a creation of God. Does that make sense? So I sort of see the two not as isolated events. I see the trust in God growing. And also, if, if this is a universal truth, then the trust in yourself will also grow. Not in an arrogant way, but rather in a recognition of all of your beautiful qualities and, and abilities. And you're, you're purposely now engaging a trust in yourself to, to deliver them, to, to give them to others. Right? So I feel that it is both things. 
Does that make sense? Awesome. <laughs> I'm not um, strong on the faith in myself, so... <laughs> so Mary's, one of Mary's emotional injuries is she's not happy with herself very frequently at this point I'd of time. I'd like to believe, like, grow my faith in God and God's love, but perhaps not so much in me. Yeah, whereas, whereas I feel you will be forced into, if you engage this everlasting process, you'll be forced into eventually accepting God's opinion of you. And what's God's opinion of you? God says, you are the most powerful and best of all of my creations. That's God's opinion of you. So eventually you'll come to the point, if you're having the same opinion of God as of yourself and of everyone else, of course, you would go, I am God's most beautiful and powerful creation. You see? So can you see that for that to occur... There has to be a growth in trust of yourself. Do you, do you follow me? Could I ask a clarifier on that mm -hmm. one? Mm -hmm. Is that different to having a trust in my own opinions? I think that's what I was... Uh, Very different. Yes. yes. Because as I said earlier, our opinions are completely untrustworthy. <laughs> right? So if I go, I'm backing myself on this one and it's just an opinion, then I'm going to get in trouble. Whereas if I back myself on, hey, I had an experience that showed me something about me and God, yep. then I can have faith in that. Yeah. But the beauty even of having the opinion and holding on to an opinion is eventually, if you keep the process going, the opinion that's false will be exposed anyway. So, so even if you had a false opinion, sooner or later, truth will expose it as false and eventually you're going to have to let it go. So I don't even see any problem with that. <laughs> right? To see, from God's perspective, we are growing eternally. So if you think about it from God's perspective, all of us right now are making mistakes. Even the most perfect of us is making a mistake from God's perspective, right? in the sense of a mistake in knowledge. But from God's perspective, mistakes are really not mistakes in knowledge because God, God acknowledges that these things are just growth. From God's perspective, the real mistake is every time we act out of harmony with love. That's the real mistake. Does that make sense? The, real mis the only time from God's perspective that you can really make a mistake is when you act out of harmony with love. If you have incomplete knowledge, that's immaterial from God's perspective. Because God knows that all of us will forever have not enough knowledge. Right? Because if there's an infinite amount of knowledge, all of us will only have absorbed a certain finite amount at any one time. So from God's perspective, a lack of knowledge isn't your problem. From God's perspective, a lack of love is the problem. Right? And it's when we act out of harmony with love that all of God's laws are trying to get us back into harmony with love. And that is the truth of the universe. All of God's universal laws are teaching us constantly, constantly about love. Because God's trying to tell us, I don't care if you make a mistake in knowledge. You know, you might come up with some fanciful idea that's completely false. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> right? But, and it doesn't bother the universe at all, by the way, either. You, you don't affect the universe negatively by having this idea that's just a knowledge-based idea. 
that's out of harmony with the truth. But when you have feelings and ideas inside of you that are out of harmony with love, now the universe has a problem with you. All of God's laws are designed to bring you back into harmony with love. All of God's laws are designed to reflect the pain and suffering that you have created through your own engagement of actions that are out of harmony with love. And this is why it's very important to understand the role of love in this process. So we've talked a lot about faith, but, but at this point we still haven't talked much about prayer. And, and prayer is more, even more important in some ways than faith. Of course, prayer won't be engaged unless faith is engaged. So do, do you understand the basic, these basic qualities, if you like, or attributes of faith that will be present when true faith is present? So let's answer some of these questions before we break. So if we yeah, go, if we go. Uh, Laura on this side. Yeah. Laura on this side. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. Yep. And then Mon in front. Oh, sorry. Um, when you were saying with all of God's universe, how it pushes on the small circle of the false belief. Yep. In that example. Yep. Um, I've gathered a lot of um, facts that that false belief is not true and I thought that I didn't want to let go of the false belief because what I was getting from it. But I've realised that the false belief is if that belief disappears, you said blank slate, I feel desolate annihilation. Yeah. And I've got, I don't and know I think how it's to, fantastic. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> but Laurie get, doesn't. Laurie doesn't, though. I can't get experience of what, that be, what it would be like without the belief because I've had the belief since I was born. But I know that the belief itself is false. But can you see how much your own personal psychological self is bound up in your beliefs? Because if, if, you can, if you're finding it impossible to release a belief that you know is false then it tells me that you psychologically are so attached to your belief systems that they define you. So, so what you're doing is you're holding on to belief systems that define you. But that blank slate, it feels like... A it feel, <gasps> it's like this, I'm just in an abyss of empty... Like it, yeah, and really that's a false belief too. And can you see um, what Jesus was just saying about that's because it's related to your identity? Yes. I don't feel that bit hit you. Yeah, that yeah. bit never hit you. Yeah. Do you this understand? You don't understand me. how much your psychological identity is, is, is identifying with false beliefs. Now, you, you remember we drew this circle. This is God's universe, if you like. And here's all your creations, or we could say all of your environment's creations, which are all outside of God's universe in a way. Because God's universe are all based upon truth and, and law and love, right? This is God's universe. This is where God created. This is where you created. right? Or you could say your parents created if you grew up in an environment. And this is all to do with false, error, and so forth. But unfortunately, many of us have become psychologically attached to that. We've become so attached to that that we think giving that up is a major drama. Well, I was saying, I, I feel like, all, like every ounce of my will has been invested in, in this false belief, make it, wanting it to be real. I agree. But to let it go, that, I, I don't know where else I'd be. It's... Well, see, if you had faith, you would let it go unhesitatingly. And do I need the faith 
there before I can trust that there's like developing or there'll be a Laura, period. Laura, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> you haven't heard what I just said. And, and this is what we do. We go, but, 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 but. And, this, and all, all it is is this psyche, if you could say, this, this impression that you have of yourself, a lot of people call that the ego, do they not? Right? In, the, in, in New Age terminology, they'd call that the ego, right? And I call it the psychological, your own psychological, yes. uh, the yes. S-Y, impression of yourself, which is false, right? And because it's psychological in its nature, it's going to feel like you're giving up yourself when you give up this. And this is why most people hold on and choose to use their will to hold on to false beliefs. Because their false beliefs are so entwined with who they believe they are, right? They feel that if they give that up, then themselves has to be given up. The, the reality is, that's not who you are. And you have no faith that that's true. Who you are is, belongs in this area. In God's universe, how God designed you to be. That's who you really are. And you don't have any faith in that at all. Because if you had faith in that, you'd willingly give that up instead of fight for it. And I, I feel this... The reason we struggle with this a lot, even when we hear the truth, is because of this rebellion feeling that we have and the anger about feeling uncertainty feeling psychological distress or um, even feeling like we're being totally psychologically destroyed yeah, yeah. It, it, it in the end involves the almost a destruction not of ourselves but of who we imagine ourselves to be this self-concept that we want to hold on to that's error-based yeah that's exactly right where yeah. I'm at. does that make sense and many of us are going to have to go through this destruction because most of ourselves that we currently see as really, really good is completely out of harmony with all of God's universal laws and truth about love and faith and humility and all these other qualities. And uh, Laurie said about, well, what about, how do, I, how do I have the faith to do the thing? Oh, and again, I feel it's about... Experiment. Experimenting and having experience. That's the only way your faith will grow. But a lot of us, and I would include myself in this group, we just get angry about having to do it and that makes us never experiment. You go, no, this feels uncomfortable and I don't want to and now I'm going to be angry about it and so, say... So we're all like little children going, no, 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 I don't want to experiment. <laughs> yes. I might make a mistake. Somebody might punish me. Somebody might... Well, I also want, really want to know what's on the other side first. Like, I want to know that... I'm oh, sorry, you do know what's on the other side first. What's on the other side is love, truth, all these beautiful things. That's what's on the other side. You've been told what's on the other side. You just do not have faith in it. Right? That's the problem. And faith in it won't come until some of this is willing to get to go. Remember, that's one of the qualities of faith. Yeah? So very important to understand that. Now, who was next? Uh, yep, far away. Oh, um, I, I just wanted to ask about the love. Are, are you saying that... Because um, you're talking about divine love. Yes. Is infinite. 
and we can receive infinitely God's love. Yes. Can you just hold the mic a little closer to your mouth? Because yeah. it, it's Fit. a bit muffled. Yeah. Um, do we, do I also, and you and all of us have an, infi an infinite capacity to grow our natural love and to give love? Well, not without divine love, no. The way God's yeah. made our soul is quite simple, and that is, here's our human soul in its original design. That, that is the normal way we would be, if you like. Now, we can perfect it, and that is the state that a person enters when they enter the sixth dimension or the sixth sphere of the spirit world, P-H-E-R-E, and... And that is our soul, if you like. Now, remember, we've got two halves, so we're one half of the soul, perfected in natural love. Unfortunately, though, natural love stops there. It stagnates there. There's nothing more that you can do to grow unless you start growing divine love. Now, when you start receiving divine love, the soul gets transformed into a bigger creature. All right? Not the traditional circle that I've drawn. There you go. And it's much bigger, driven by the heart rather than the head, right? And it's a much bigger, more powerful creation because now what's happened is God's love has entered the soul. We're here talking about divine love here. This is the physical, and this is one of the things we want to discuss with you after the break, actually. Physical divine love enters your soul and transforms it into a new being. Not a being that was of your original creation, but something now that has the ability to infinitely expand. The way God created your original soul was it only has the ability to infinitely expand if it receives divine love. It does not have the ability to infinitely expand without receiving divine love. However... Remember that natural love is not the love that comes from God, but the love that comes from you. Now, of course, if your soul is bigger and it has more divine love in it, and therefore the love inside of you is bigger, that means you have more natural love to share. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's the subsequent effect of receiving the divine love. Thank you. Yep. And we were down to Mon next. Uh, just a question on experimentation. Um, I can understand how you can experiment with prayer, and, and I feel like, like I've experimented. You, you, do, you do A plus B and it equals C, and if it doesn't equal C, then A or B is wrong, or B is wrong me, my, my error. But say now, now I'm, I'm getting all confused with the A's <laughs> and B's yeah, yeah. now, Mike. And right. what's C? <laughs> all right, so say... Do you want to bring up an actual example? Yeah. All right, so prayer. Yeah. So we experiment with prayer, and I we so I take the step of praying, and if if I do receive a response from God, like an answer or or a connection to God, then I know that um, my desire I had a pure desire, or um, and so a, if you didn't receive, what would you then assume? I'd assume that God doesn't love you anymore. No, oh, like I have a, I have an addiction, like um, I'm not worthy to be. Heard or known or no ah, connection. Ah. Eh? You're always worthy. That's what? her. She said, I'll assume I've got an addiction. Yeah, but see, no, no but see, what, what you're doing is you're automatically assuming false things. Many of us do this. So, oh, so when, mm. when we're longing for God's love to enter us, mm -hmm. 
right? And we think we're longing for God's love to enter us, and we feel like we're longing for God's love to enter us, and no love is entering us. You know what I would assume? That I don't want it. That I wasn't longing in the first place. That's all I would assume. Just that one thing. Because yeah. I know from, from fact that every time I've had a sincere longing for divine love to enter my soul, it always has. Me too, but I thought that was just like... I don't, yeah, well, that's why I never understand the questions. I go, yeah. Oh, no, no, that wasn't really the question. That was like the prelude. <laughs> oh, that's okay, that's okay. But yeah. can you first understand that every time you say you have a longing for divine love and it doesn't enter you, you didn't have a longing for divine love? Yes, exactly. That's, that's why I mean like A plus B equals C and yep. I'm the problem. Ah, but no, no. <laughs> See, why do you have to then go, I'm the problem? All right, that's... Why do you have to do that? Because you have been taught to blame yourself every time. The problem could be an emotion that your mummy created in you. Or the problem could be an emotion your dad created in you. The problem could be an emotion you got at school. The problem you could be that you were taught religious things and that was the problem. It doesn't. Why would you say you're the problem? You're the you're the beautiful creation of God. How can you be the problem? God doesn't see you as a problem. God sees you as a person who's imbibed all of these false beliefs and false systems. And all God's wanting us to do is go. No, the problem is not me, not me. The problem is that I have imbibed a whole heap of things that are false. And all I've got to do here is discover what it is. Now, all of God's universal laws are already exposing it to me. They're already shining the light bulb on. Right? There's the light bulb there. Right? All the light's being shined from all of God's laws of the universe. And it's already exposing it. The, problem, the only problem is I'm not seeing properly. I need to put on some glasses so I can see properly. Right? See myself properly, see what's going on. And, and understand that every time, the way God's designed divine love, every time you have a sincere longing for it, you will receive. Right? So the only reason why you are not receiving is because the longing is not sincere. And that's not you're the problem. That's something inside of you. Now, if you think of it from God's perspective, he created you this perfect being without a problem. So from his definition of you is, you are my perfect creation. You, you are not the problem. The problem is what's got inside of you through the creations of the universe around you and your own choices. That's the problem. And that's very different than seeing yourself as the problem. And what I see most people doing is they're still blaming themselves for their own error. Most of your error got into you by the time you were seven years of age and then from then on you made heaps of choices based upon that error. The only time you have made the problem is when you made the choices based on error and you're still sometimes making them. That's the only time you're the problem. And even then, it's not you that's the problem. It's your, the way in which you're exercising your will that's the problem. You're exercising your will out of harmony with divine law. That's why you have the problem. It's not you that's the problem. You can be perfect and exercise your will in harmony. 
So the problem is not you, but it is your choices. That's the problem. And the choices are driven by what's in your heart. So what's in your heart's the problem. Not, not you, <laughs> you see. But can we continue with your question? Yeah, great. Yeah. Um, so, so just in that example, we, uh, there's a great way of experimenting to me and, and, and the same with prayer. But when I was uh, reflecting on how I would experiment with, with God's attributes and qualities, for example, yep. and seeing that I don't believe that God's loving and kind in my heart, mm-hmm. but I can see intellectually that God is loving and kind by all of the beautiful creations. Yep. So then, then comparing it like that, that experiment, which is awesome, to, okay, God, are you loving and are you kind and just going... Can I, can I just stop you again? Mm. When you said, I can feel in my heart that I don't believe God's loving and kind, you must have reasons why you don't believe God's mm-hmm. loving and kind. Yes, yes, I do. You're going to have to feel them. Mm. And the majority of us don't want to feel them. See, what we try to do is we try to jump over them with our intellect. And this is our problem. We are never going to feel God's loving and kind while we have an opposite feeling inside of our soul. Recently, I did a series of discussions with some with Luli and some with Mary about how the soul functions. Many of you are still confused about how the soul functions. My suggestion is to look at how the soul functions, those discussions. Because the soul doesn't function in the manner you think it does, it, it, it is very selective in the manner in which it functions because God designed it to only function a certain way. And one way is that it cannot have truth enter it while error still remains within it. Right? And you think it can. And it can't. The error is going to have to come out before the truth enters. Now, you can have a faith of what the truth is, and that is completely different to the truth actually being in your heart. Do you understand? Once the truth is in your heart, you will not need a faith in it anymore. It will be reality to you. And the truth can't enter your heart unless the error on that particular subject has left your heart. And so I would, again, focus on the willingness to allow the error to believe. And that's humility. So what we need to do is work on humility. The willingness to let the truth leave, the the error leave us so the truth can enter us. So are you saying that if we experiment still with the error in our heart, we're not going to get accurate results from the experiment? So ask that question again, Mum. If we experiment? With the error, if I experiment, ask... uh, wanting to see if God's loving, when I still have the error in my heart that God isn't, I'm not going to actually get the, get the right answer, get, the, get a truthful result? Well, it depends what you base your choice on. If you base your choice on the error, then you certainly aren't going to get a truthful mm. result. But if, if it's in intellectual... If you base your choice on the truth, then mm. you will definitely get the positive result. So if you act... On the truth that you intellectually intellectually know, that will expose the error and help it leave you, and then the truth can enter you. Yeah, but can I can I point out to many of you still because we haven't covered prayer yet? There's only half of the information, 
And so probably what we need to do is just... It must be close to one-ish now, is it? Yeah. And what we might probably need to do is have a break and then come back and talk... And, and this discussion may have to go on to another day. In, because, tomorrow. Not tomorrow. <laughs> not tomorrow. Um, but, but because basically there's so much to discuss about prayer that, that interrelates with faith. And the operation of divine love on your soul. And it still feels to me that many of you don't understand the operation of divine love on your soul. You're sort of expecting that you have to do all the work of getting rid of the errors. But you don't. All you have to do is get rid of the errors that stop you from receiving divine love. And God's love will get rid of the rest. <laughs> right? And this is something that many of you are still not getting, right? That you all, so do you want me to say that again before we stop? Yeah. All you have to do is focus on getting rid of the errors that stop you from receiving divine love. And then divine love will get rid of the rest of the error. Right? <laughs> you want to say more than that? <laughs> well, Deb just said, well, that's all of my error, and I disagree. I feel that many of us have already removed enough error that we could start receiving divine love right now. But you haven't got rid of the blocks that stop you from, that, that the, stop you from receiving the divine love. The excuses for not asking. Many of you are making this excuse for not asking. I'm unworthy. That's an excuse. Your belief that you're unworthy to receive divine love is completely false, and it's an excuse. You can ask, and you might then f experience some unworthy feelings, but you would stop using that feeling as an excuse. Yeah. And, and we, we, we often see excuse after excuse after excuse for not praying. This is why we need to cover the next part, prayer, because we, we often use excuse after excuse after excuse to not pray. And then we say, oh, I haven't received divine love yet. And you ask why. And we say, oh, because I'm not this or I haven't done that yet. or I will, I will. No, no, it's not that. It's because you haven't had a sincere longing. <laughs> That's the only reason why we never receive divine love is because our longing is not sincere for it. All we need to receive divine love is a sincere longing. That's all we need. Everything else will be exposed. If you're willing, a sincere longing, and perhaps I should add one more thing, and that is a humility, a willingness to let go of the error. That's all you need. The longing for, for love and a willingness to let go of the error emotionally. The majority of you have not received divine love because there is no willingness to let go of the error. You just have to be willing. And you don't want to be willing. It's like, no, 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 no. You know, the tantrum goes on inside of you. I don't want to have to do that. I don't want to have to cry. I don't want to have to feel shamed. I don't want to have to feel sexual shame. I don't want to have to feel anger. I don't want to have to feel rage. You just don't want to have to feel. And God's saying, if you want your soul to expand, you're going to have to feel whatever is in it. Right? And we're going, no, 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 no. I don't want to have to feel. And that's what stops us from allowing more love in. So we start getting a trickle of love, 
And all of a sudden we're in a panic. I don't want to have to feel. I don't want to have to feel. Right? God's love, the instant that it enters our soul, will expose the error as it enters. And if you do not choose to feel in that moment, God's love can't enter you more. Because God's love is a feeling. And you're now locking up your feelings. You can't do that. And this is one of our main problems. And so we need to talk a lot about prayer when and you its operation. Yeah, when you consider what's on offer, all we've got to do is just feel and we get, well, infinite truth, infinite love, infinite, you know, amazing gifts. It's funny, isn't it, that we do that. I do that. I just go, no, I don't want to feel, you know. Yeah. And, and quite often uh, um, I have discussions with people and saying, like, just, just there, did you see just there, you went from feeling a bit of divine love and feeling some other emotion, and you started to cry, and then you shut it down. I remember just when we were down south with Paul and Mel, and we had a, just a bit of a discussion over some lunch, and Mel started crying. She says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. And I said, there you go, you're stopping divine love right there, right there, right at that spot, that spot where you need to feel. That's where you're stopping it. And you're shutting it down. And so only a trickle gets in. And if a trickle gets in, how much transformation of the soul has happened? A trickle. <laughs> and so 10 years later, it's still trickling. Now, do you want a flow or a trickle? Yeah. That's what I think. Anyway, like I'd go for a flow. And, and so my feelings are, as soon as you let that, as soon as that feeling is triggered in you, let it out. Let it go. Let, it, let what the divine love is exposed in you leave you. Leave, let it will leave you for good if you let it in that one experience. If you let it go, as, as long as it's there, it will be gone. And you won't have to have to process that particular thing again if you really let it flow. But most of us don't do that. Most of us, what we do is we long for God's love because we think that it's going to be nice and love should meet all of our addictions and everything. And, and God, because we've got a sincere longing sometimes in that place, God gives us a bit. And we, all of a sudden we're starting to feel an emotion. We're starting to feel some kind of negative feeling, like grief in particular. Grief, but usually it's grief or shame or some other kind of feeling that's very, very difficult to feel. And what do we do? Cut it off, cut it off, cut it off. Don't do that, don't do that. We run away. And in the process of running away, we are stopping the operation of divine love affecting our soul. Our soul cannot be transformed under those particular circumstances. And any transformation that will have to take place will have to take place with your own effort. And what have we called that? We've called that the natural love path. That's the way... So most of us are still doing it that way. Thinking that we're on the divine love path, but we're actually on the natural love path. Because we're not willing to engage emotionally the exposure of what's within. Right? We're afraid of it. We're afraid of our own emotions. Most of us, the biggest problem we have is that we're terrified of ourselves. <laughs> we're terrified of what's within. And we don't want to feel it. Right? And, and we can't even blame ourselves for that because most of the time that terror was created by when we were little, we started crying. And what did mum and dad do? Oh, you stop crying, otherwise I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> right? And now there's this threat of violence. And of course we're terrified, but God's not like that. That's one of the things we're going to have to let go of in order to receive God's love. 
So what we'd like to do after this break is talk to you primarily about the operation of prayer, how faith influences prayer, and also what prayer does for you, what, what receiving love into your soul actually does to your soul, physically does to your soul, and spiritually and emotionally does to your soul, so that you can at least have some desire to pray. All right. So let's have a break for two weeks. What's the time now? Quarter past one. Quarter past Come one. Two o'clock. Can we? Yeah. Two. Thank you. Thank you.